Welcome to There Are Good Things Here, the podcast where we reflect on the lessons Katie Hubbard learned about living as she was preparing to die. I'm your host, Norman Hubbard, and I never once opened Katie's journals while she was alive. Now I'm opening them up to you so you can discover resources for your faith, refreshing honesty, and unexpected joy for the journey through a painful world with a wonderful God. Today I want to read to you from two of Katie's journal entries at the beginning of May 2015, and then we'll check in on an email update that she sent to friends and also an article that she was writing for a parenting blog that the Navigators were doing for Moms in Ministry. First are two journal entries from early May. The first is Monday, May the 4th, 2015. Dear Lord, I have been rather discouraged since my doctor visit on Friday. Low blood counts, confusion over who is calling the shots, kind of a hopelessness all wrapped up in fatigue. Norman has been out of town. And then from Wednesday, May 6th of 2015. Dear Lord, is it possible that I don't have to be anywhere or see anyone today? at least till the reading day eve party. Bliss, what a wonderful month April was, but I am pretty tuckered out. Mom, Andrea, and Mariella just left. My tumor marker is up 40 points from 123 to 163. I'm reading God on Mute. C.S. Lewis says that miracles must necessarily be rare, but Jesus says, ask. You knew billions of people would read those words, so you must have known that billions of people would ask. That doesn't sound rare to me. I love the combination of these two journal entries, just because the one in early May from Monday is really, uh, you could tell Katie was very discouraged, but then two days later, she's writing, reflecting back on all of April, saying that it was a really good month, and there were friends who were just there with her mom. She was preparing for the Reading Day Eve party. By the way, Reading Day is the day before finals at the University of Illinois and several other universities, and we always did a Reading Day Eve party just before the finals began. And Katie is, as she was typically doing, reading pretty deeply. She was actually reading uh, God on Mute, a book by... um, Oh, geez, how did I just forget his name? Uh, wrote a wonderful book called How to Pray. Um, forgive me, author, who I once tried to interview. Um, anyway, maybe I'll recall it later. But also just reflecting on C.S. Lewis's comment that miracles, just by their very nature, must necessarily be rare. But knowing that Jesus had commanded his followers to ask him for what they wanted and that Millions would be asking. Billions of people would need a miracle and be asking. So Katie's just wrestling with that. Let me go on to read uh, uh, an update that she sent to some friends that will give you a feel for what the future held for us later on during the summer in 2015. She writes, Hey all, I wanted to let you know how the last week has been. Last week, I went to the doctor on Friday for a routine follow-up to see how I'm doing on the new chemo. 
I've been feeling pretty good on it, better actually than any other chemo I've been on. However, after two weeks on the drug, the cycle is three weeks on, one week off, my blood counts were too low to continue. That means that my red and white blood cell counts were very low, which are the ones that cause infection and which can lead to serious illness if you get sick when your immune system is compromised. The doctor has suspended the drug until my counts come back up. I will get blood taken tomorrow, and we'll see how the counts come back. Interestingly, this is the first time I've ever had low counts ever through all of my treatments. My blood work also showed that my tumor marker is up. I don't actually know what a tumor marker is, but you don't want it to go up. When my cancer spread in September, it was at 225. By January, it was down to 123. Now it's 163. So not as high as before, but moving up. We want that to go down. I was off chemo from February to April, so that could be the explanation as well. My pain is also increasing again in all of the old familiar spots. So far, I haven't noticed any new pains, which is good. However, today my severe back pain resurfaced. I haven't experienced that since before my back procedure in February. I sneezed and it felt like I had broken a bone. That might be a fr the fractured vertebrae that I still have. It has not hurt me terribly, so I don't know why it would today. All of these symptoms could add up to something rather sobering. I'm trying to get a PET scan scheduled. That's the full body scan that reveals any cancer larger than one centimeter anywhere in your body except your brain. And anxiety always increases as I face these tests. The last two days, I have felt achy and tired and kind of crummy. I ignored it yesterday because I thought it might be the hot weather, but it was back today, so I suspect that it's from my low blood counts. Advil seems to clear up those symptoms, so that's good. And I have been taking big naps again, three hours today, so I don't know if this means that I might be going down again. We had a great April. We had a string of good friends and family who got to come down for a few days at a time. I'm thankful I felt good for all of that. Also, thanks to the help we have with meals, cleaning, and whatnot, I've been able to maintain what looks like a pretty normal life. I haven't had to miss anything for my kids due to health in quite a long time. Vic and Lindy came down and prayed with us two weeks ago. They're our NAV staff from college. We had a very powerful time of prayer. The Lord did some deep work in Norman's and my heart. We were able to confess a lot of sin and fear and also present the deep desire of our heart for healing before the Lord. I feel like I have truly asked, and we will see what he does. Finally, Norman and I have been presented with a possibility of seeking alternative treatment in Mexico at a clinic down there. That's pretty huge. We're praying if we should pursue this. Please pray for wisdom in this. There's just so little information out there on these places, and it's hard to know what to do. The bottom line is, 
There is no cure apart from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, healing me in his name. He could use this as a means. The reality is, I can do all of the treatment I want, and none of it might do any good at all. I was thinking today that if I had no family or friends that would mourn me here, how happy I would be to go to heaven. I would stop all of the treatment and say, take me Jesus. Of course, I'm not that selfish, but it is pretty awesome to think that our faith enables us to face eternity with excitement. I just feel the need for extra prayer. I felt discouragement creeping into my heart this week. I got a little care package from a friend today, and she wrote, It's okay to feel angry, and then wrote a verse with it. Then, It's okay to feel joyful, with another verse with it. Then, It's okay to feel sad, and another verse. I thought that was really great. It just acknowledges how many emotions you feel at a time like this, and that they really are okay. Joy, sadness, anger, hope sorrow. It's all mixed in there together. Love you all, Katie. Finally, I want to read to you uh, an article that Katie was writing for a blog that the Navigators are doing for Moms in Ministry, and this is called Practical Parenting Tips That Have Helped Me. This is a longer writing, but it's so quintessentially Katie, I thought I would share it with you. I find in parenting it's easy to lose the forest for the trees. One thing that I've found helpful to combat this problem is to have what I think of as a grid to lay over my parenting to help me think through the bigger picture of what's going on with my kids, rather than getting lost in the many incidents over the day that cloud the picture. For reference and birth order, my kids are Tom, 18, Kayla, 16, Rachel, 14, and Joe, 7. Here's my grid, or my filter, if you prefer. Number one, never, ever, 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 ever compare. Do not compare your children to other people's children, especially if you have a firstborn boy and your friend has a firstborn girl. If you do, you will just lock yourself in your closet and weep for hours, Do not compare. You and your best friend may be the same age and have the same age kids, but there are hundreds of different factors in your lives, in your personalities, in your life situation, and in your children's personalities and lives. For example, I'm the kind of parent who, if I have time and energy, the first thing I will do is try to get out with my kids in nature and have an adventure. My good friend Kathy, on the other hand, will immediately do a craft with her kids. So, if I compare myself to Kathy and try to remember the last time that I did a craft with my kids, I become glum and feel like a failure. I will let you know if I ever remember the last time I did a craft with any of my kids. If she compares herself to me and tries to remember the last time she took her kids out in nature, then she feels like a failure, and so on. Number two, don't compare, but do beg, borrow, and steal. While we shouldn't compare, there is no shame in borrowing parenting ideas. I was an education major in college. One of my professors used to say, beg, borrow, and steal. 
You don't have to have an original thought while teaching. Feel free to borrow other people's good ideas. Don't feel like you have to have all of the answers and good ideas. The things I'm sharing with you are the things I've learned from others. Once we had some friends come over, and we discovered that they put their kids in a corner with their nose to the wall for a timeout. Brilliant! We borrowed that idea, and wow, was it effective. Our kids really hated that one. Number three, don't discipline in a way that punishes you. For example, it might seem like a good idea to take away your child's favorite show or video game, but then... What are they going to do during that half hour or hour that they normally watch their show and you get a break? Yep, you are going to have to think of extra things to do with them. Instead, send them to their room for 30 minutes and then you get a 30-minute break. Same with grounding. I don't want a mopey teenager around all weekend. Instead, we usually put our teenage kids to work. Then they learn a lesson, and we get a cleaner house or a better-looking yard. Number four, discipline in a way that is effective. If you're disciplining your child and the behavior is not changing, then your discipline is ineffective and you need to do something else. In other words, if your discipline is not working, then it's not really discipline. One definition of discipline is punishment inflicted, by way of correction and training, emphasis on correction and training. We don't discipline just for the sake of discipline. We discipline to bring about correction and training. For example, putting my daughter Rachel in timeout was completely ineffective. She is wonderfully imaginative and creative, and so sitting in timeout was just another great way for her to be imaginative and creative. However, My daughter, Kayla, is completely social, so a timeout was very effective for her. Which brings me to my next point, number five. Be a student of your children. Volly Sanders has written a wonderful Bible study that I highly recommend called Train Up a Mom. She discusses becoming a student of your children in several chapters of her study. She writes, quote, I studied my children to find out their unique personalities, their personal values, their gifts and talents, and the things that cause them to stumble. I asked God to give me ideas on how to encourage their strengths and recognize their temptations. Volley also suggests thinking through your individual children's needs in four categories mental, physical, spiritual, and social. I apply this grid to thinking about each of my children and what they currently need. Four areas times four children equals a lot of thinking, but it is so helpful. For instance, Tom may be physically active, but his grades are slumping. Rachel's grades might be great, but she's not been physically active. Kayla may be doing well spiritually, but might be a bit too social, and Joe might be doing well mentally, but then I realize we have not read a devotional together in six weeks. Number six, get in someone else's back pocket. If you assemble 32 sets of parents and ask them any question about parenting, you will probably get 32 different answers. 
The amount of parenting advice and styles is overwhelming. We found it very helpful to narrow down our parenting examples to one or two families, and for the most part, we tried to do what they did. We've not always lived in the same town with these people, but they have been my go-to sources over the years. Having one or two examples has muted the competing voices. One time, one of my examples came to visit me for a few days when the kids were six, three, and one. Joe hadn't been born. I asked her to observe my parenting while she was there and then give me feedback. Boy, was that a scary thing to do. I really wanted her to pat me on the back and tell me I was awesome. But instead, she pointed out ways I could improve. That was painful, but so helpful. I will never forget one thing she said to me. Every moment is a training opportunity. Up until that time, I realized I had always thought there were times that I should get a break from training, like when we were going to the bank or grocery shopping or to the mall. But no, I needed to view those as training opportunities. Walking into the mall and preparing myself by thinking, If there is bad behavior here, I will view this as a training time and not an imposition to whatever it is I'm trying to accomplish was super helpful. And alas, realizing that I didn't get a break from training on vacation was helpful also. Number seven, let your kids bow out graciously. Excuse me, let your kids bow out gracefully. In our family, our go-to phrase was, make a good choice. If I asked the kids to do something and I saw that they didn't want to or weren't going to, then I would say, make a good choice. And I would walk away to give them the privacy and dignity to wrestle with their little thoughts and emotions and let them choose what they were going to do. Of course, this was when they were little, but the same principle applies when they're older. Nobody wants an eyeball-to-eyeball stare-down where it then becomes mom's will versus my will. We all want the dignity to choose and the knowledge that we are trusted to do the right thing. And if they choose not to obey, then there was a consequence. Number seven, birth order is a big deal. Pay attention to it. Birth order and different personalities are huge. In our family, Kayla always wanted to do what Tom was doing, so there was a lot of competition and discontentment there at times. Rachel could not care less what Tom or Kayla was doing. She was going to do her own thing. Different kids, different issues. Joe is a fourth-born with no siblings of a similar age, so guess what? Sharing is not an issue, but on the other hand, he can never win or be right. Number eight. Is my parenting based on God's word or on contemporary advice that competes with God's word? Our culture has very definite opinions about parenting and what we should do and should not be doing. There are more voices now than ever, but as I look around, I don't see that our culture is producing lots of disciplined, self-controlled, loving, caring, and compassionate individuals who respect authority. There is lots of vitriol and condemnation of those who spank, and yet I see that our society is more violent than it's ever been. 
The question that we need to be asking is, what does the scripture say? If I've observed anything from our contemporary culture, it's that the standard of what we can expect from our kids' behavior is shockingly low. Kids are capable of so much more than we think. Most of our parenting involves us under-expecting in parenting rather than over-expecting. Scripture assures us that children are a blessing, so let's parent in a way that they are a blessing. That's the end of Katie's essay that she or uh, yeah essay that she wrote for the parenting blog for moms in ministry. I wanted to end with this also because next week's podcast is going to feature one of Katie's kids. Uh, it happens to be Mother's Day weekend, and Rachel who is our third-born daughter, our third-born child, uh, will be hosting the podcast next week. And I hope that you will enjoy and be blessed by what she has to say. That is all for this week. Thanks so much for joining. In the podcast, there are good things here. I trust that that is true, and you'll find it to be true in your own life this week.